0: Hi, I'm Gary Simpkins, and I have a story to tell. If I told you my story. Both my parents were Christian people, and we went to church a lot and often. And I was introduced to Jesus through my parents at a very young age. However, I didn't accept Jesus and ask Him to come into my life until I was nine years old. And that time, I was a child and I'm not sure that I really understood what I actually had done. And anyway as I got older I started making decisions. Decisions that took me away from the church. Decisions that caused me more problems than I wanted to have. The The, the church was everything that my parents wanted me to be. Actually I think they wanted me to be a preacher. but As I got older and I made all these decisions that took me away from the church and God, in my mind I seemed to be happy. But those that loved me told me that I was not happy, that I was a very frustrated and angry man. I ran from God. I ran from Him even though I was a member of the church and I was attending church and I was participating in church and doing all those things that i thought people expected of me to be as a christian but i was struggling i was struggling with myself with my family with my work with my friends i knew things had to change and if i didn't make those changes everything that i wanted and loved i risked losing I remember a Bible verse that my mother taught me or wanted me to remember or, or memorize, and that was 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divided the word of truth. My mother passed away in 1995. I was devastated. I was absolutely depressed and angry not at God but at the fact that she actually died. Well one night I was reading the Bible and it, and it came to mind again that verse in Second Timothy and I started to read it. I couldn't even read all of it before I was just crying and weeping hard and deep in my soul I felt like I had just really lost everything It was at that point I recommitted my life to Jesus. And I told him I would serve him, I would live for him, and I meant business when I said it to him. I promised God that I would spend the rest of my days being his representative, studying his word, and communicating with him on a daily basis. If he would help me to clean up my life, God was faithful I can't say that enough I can't say that with enough emphasis God was faithful I benefited from His grace and His mercy I for the first time took what I said to God seriously since I made this commitment I have been faithful to Him and my life has been blessed more than the words I could ever use to express that. My relationships with my family, with my friends, community, I've all been better than they ever had. I truly enjoy and truly enjoy God's Word, reading it, studying it, praying for others, and being His representative. If
1: And every one of us who are followers of Christ have a story. Details are different, but we all have a story. I think the problem, though, is that too many times we're like the mailman up in Brooklyn, New York. An interesting story, strange story. Last year, 67-year-old mailman was arrested for not delivering the mail. Now think about that. A 67-year-old postal worker arrested for not delivering the the mail. What he had done is for the previous 10 years, on days when he just didn't feel like doing it, he hoarded the mail. Rather than throwing it away in a dumpster or whatever, he stored it in his apartment, in a locker, in his car. And um, at the end of that 10 years, he had, he had not delivered and had stored at his house and so on more than 40,000 pieces of mail. First-class mail, everything, you name it, he started. 40,000 pieces. It weighed more than a ton, and it took five postal workers five hours to carry all the mail out of his apartment that he had stored there. Crazy story. But I, I got to thinking about that, and I wonder what people missed missed out on, what what they didn't get that he was supposed to deliver to them. And I imagine there was a lot of junk mail in that, I imagine there were some bills. Maybe there were a few checks, some personal letters, Christmas cards, birthday cards, grief cards. And sometimes you and I as followers of Christ are just like that mailman. God has placed in us the gospel. The good news of His grace, forgiveness, and transforming power through a relationship with Him. And sometimes we just don't feel like delivering it. So we hoard it, we keep it to ourselves. The problem is that people don't miss out on checks and birthday cards and Christmas cards and junk mail and personal letters and bills. They they miss out on the possibility of heaven. They miss out on the possibility of being forgiven so they don't have to spend the rest of their days living with guilt. They miss out on the possibility of a new life, a different life, a better life, a more fulfilling life. Because we say, I just don't feel like doing anything. I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to deliver it. This sermon series, the story to tell, is designed to encourage us to deliver the mail, if you will. To let people know there's a God who loves them, who wants to be in their life and make a difference in their life. And in particular, helping us understand how we have a story to tell. And telling that story is one way we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the focus is not so much on the church, even though the church is part of our life. The focus is on a relationship with Jesus and how that relationship with him, how that encounter with Christ changes us, how it makes a difference in our lives. And so we want to help you over these next few weeks Think about your story, write your story, learn how to tell your story more more effectively so that you can can share the good news and non-hoard it. And our our theme verse, as you see there on the screen, is Psalm 107, verse 2. And the Bible says in that verse, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? All right, 10 of you remember. But you see, that illustrates our problem. Let the redeemed of the Lord what? Let the redeemed of the Lord what? Now, when it comes to singing, we like that. But saying so is a whole lot more than singing in church. It's talking in the community with our neighbors, our co workers, our relatives, our friends. Let the redeemed of the Lord do what? If you've been redeemed, you have a story to tell. If you don't have a story to tell, then you need to come to this altar and give your life to Jesus and be saved today. Do you, do you, do you have a story in Christ? Do you? Then why are you not telling it? Why are you not sharing it with people who could benefit from knowing that there is a God who still works in people's lives? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, today I want to be practical for a few moments, teaching you some more things that will help you share your story. Because most of us haven't really thought about it, we haven't worked at it, and and therefore when we sit down and try to tell our story with somebody, it takes us too long. And we get into too many details that really don't add anything to the story. And so we want to help us be effective in sharing our story of transformation through Christ. I want you to open your Bible, please, to the book of Acts chapter 26, because the Apostle Paul, in one instance, one episode in his life, gives us a good model to follow, if you will, for how to share the story of what Christ has done in our lives. Now, our details are different than Paul's. His was a very radical conversion. Your conversion may be radical, it may not be. Perhaps you grew up in church and you've always been faithful to Christ, but you still have a story. You have a story. And and Paul teaches us in telling his story some things that will help us in telling our story. Now in Acts chapter 26, Paul has been under arrest for, for some time. And he's brought into court, if you will, to, to stand before King Agrippa and the governor of Festus and some other Roman officials to make a defense, he's on trial. And it's interesting, what Paul does is he shares his story. Now he's in court, but basically he tells his story. And we're going to look at his story and how he tells it. Because what he did here is a model for us and knowing how to tell our story to people who don't know Christ or people who are struggling in life. And so the story is found in Acts chapter 26. And as you read through what Paul does here, you could break his story the way he presents it down into three sections because what he does is he walks through his story chronologically. He, He talks to King Agrippa and the others who are listening about the days of his life before he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he proceeds to describe how he became a follower of Christ, how he was saved, if you will. And then he ends his witness, his story, his testimony, whatever you want to call it, by describing what he did after, what Christ did in his life after, what happened to him after he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And that's a great outline for all of us to follow. Your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and how he's made a difference in your life since you became his disciple. And so I want us to look at Paul and what he says about his experience. Chapter 26, the opening verses are setting the scene, if you will. But then he starts talking about his experience in verse 4. And and here in these verses, we're going to look at Paul's life before he met Christ, before he became a follower of Christ. So look in Acts 26, beginning at verse 4. He said, so then all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. He said, the people in Israel, they know about me. They know my background, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Even though Paul was born uh, somewhere else, he, for the most part, grew up in Jerusalem. Verse 5, and since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious sect. Among the, Jude- the Jews, it was, a, it, was a, it was a, think of Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. It was, a, it was a, a sect, a denomination, whatever you want to call it, within Judaism. And, it was the, and he's, as he says here, according to the strictest sect of our religion, it was a very conservative, very strict, very legalistic group who were following the God of Israel. And so Paul basically is summarizing his background. Now drop down to verse 9. He tells us some more in verses 9 through 11. He said, so then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So as as this person who was very dedicated to Judaism, a member of a very conservative sect of Judaism, once Christianity came on the scene, he said, my attitude was I needed to be hostile toward it. Verse 10, this is just what I did. In Jerusalem, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, now stop there, what, what does he say? Very succinctly, I put Christians in prison, put them in jail. He continues having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Not only did I put Christians in prison, I raised my hand and voted yea when it was time to sentence them to execution. So he's describing in specific detail the hostility he felt toward Christians and Christianity as a very devout member of a conservative sect of Judaism, the Pharisees. Verse 11. And he says, as as I punish them often, it's not something I just did once in a while, I did a lot, in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, blaspheme the name of Jesus, deny the name of Jesus. And being furiously enraged at them. Now notice that. He describes the intensity of his anger. Enraged at them. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Not only did I persecute them. Not only did I vote for them to be executed in the city of Jerusalem where I had spent most of my life. I traveled to other cities and when I found Christians there I did the same thing to them in those locations. So what's Paul just done? He said, if you want to know who I was before I became a follower of Christ, this is who I was. And in just a few brief words, he, d- he tells us a lot. See, one of the goals of writing your testimony and rewriting your testimony and getting some input to help you write your testimony is so that you can describe your story in detail in a few words. Because if people have to listen to you talk for 30 minutes to hear your story, have you ever, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and it just went on and, on and on and on and on and on and you were thinking, please stop, please stop, please stop? Sometimes as Christians, when we're sharing the gospel and we're sharing our testimonies, we make that mistake because we haven't learned how to say a lot succinctly when it comes to our story of transformation through Christ. That's one of the things I hope and pray happens for each of us through these weeks together is that we learn how to more effectively tell our story because Paul told us a lot in just a few words about his life before he became a follower of Christ. Now, he could have told us some examples. He could have named names. He could have talked about this prison and that city. We might do that, but it, didn't, it wouldn't add anything to the story. We have the picture here what he was doing and he was very specific I voted to put them to death I put them in prison I pursued them to other cities I was furious I was a member of a conservative group I was devout from my younger days and a public figure very specific details but not an overabundance of details his life before he became a follower of Christ But what about when Paul met Jesus? Well, he describes that for us as well, picking up in verse verse 12 of chapter 26. He, He says, while so engaged, while I was on my way to these other cities to persecute Christians, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, and at midday, middle of the day, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, Shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. So suddenly here's this brilliant light that comes out of nowhere seemingly. And when we had fallen to the ground, him and the men who were traveling with him. He says, I heard a voice saying to me. Now in Acts chapter 9 where this scene is actually happens, we learn that. Those who were with him heard the voice as well. But he says, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when Paul was persecuting Christians, he was actually persecuting Jesus. And he goes on to describe his experience, the conversation that happens. In verse 15, he replied, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, stand on your feet, For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Things you're going to see in the future. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. So Paul in those brief words says here's how I got saved. Here's how I met Jesus. Here's how I became a follower of Christ. I was on my way to Damascus to persecute more of God's people, more followers of Jesus. And suddenly in the middle of the day, there was this bright light blinded me. I fell to the ground and I heard this voice and Jesus and I had a conversation. And Jesus told me the reason for the rest of my existence. Now more details are given to us in in chapter 9, but Paul here is very specific. The where, the when, the what of his conversion experience. And leaves no doubt that he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, too many times when we share our story, we we make it so general We make it so much about the church or so much about philosophy or so much about religion or so much about this that that there's not much about Jesus. And our story is about an encounter with the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and how His grace got to us, if you will. So all of us need to be able to describe... How we met Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But lastly, in Paul's testimony before Agrippa, Festus, and the others, he says, Now after that, here's what happened. Here's how I was different. Picking up in, in verse uh, verse 19, if you will. He says, And so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, I did exactly what Jesus told me to do when I encountered him on the road to Damascus. He said, I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, also at Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. He said, I just started going places and telling people about Jesus. And notice how it came full circle. He started out persecuting those who were following Jesus. And he says, you want to know how God changed me? I ended up doing everything I could to help other people become followers of Jesus. That's how radical my transformation was. And part of our story is, how is your life different after Christ than it was before Christ? And So Paul gives us an outline, a model, if you will, an outline we can follow in presenting our story. And it's chronological, which makes it easy for us and keeps us on track. Because all of us have a story from then to now. Historically, chronologically. Every one of us, our story, listen, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, our story follows the same pattern as Paul's story. Your life before you were a follower of Jesus when, how you became a follower of Jesus and how your life is different now because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Your story has those same components to it. Now, here's what I'm challenging you to do. And we're going to talk very practically for just a few moments right now. I'm challenging you to write your testimony. Because if you haven't written it, you can't share it succinctly and clearly because you haven't thought enough about it. You need to sit down and write it out. And you need to rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. I'm 57 years old. I've been doing this for decades. Working on mine now, I'm focusing on that third part because I've never been as happy as I want to be with how I share that third part of my life since. It doesn't matter whether you're 77 or 17. All of us can get better at everything we do for the Lord. And so that's my encouragement to each of us is to, whether we're someone who, maybe you're someone who, you've shared your story, you've witnessed a lot. Maybe you're someone who's never witnessed, never shared your story. We can all get better than we are right now at it. So I want to encourage you to write it and go through several drafts. And I want to challenge you to write it in 300 words. Now, why? 100 words on average equals one minute of speaking. 300 words means you can share your story in three minutes. And it takes work and preparation and effort to be able to share our story of what Christ has done in our lives in three minutes or less, effectively and clearly. So I want to encourage you to do that. And it'll be a bigger challenge for some of us than we realize. 300 words, three minutes. Or less. Now, in your notes last Sunday were some suggested things to think about and as you write your story before Christ. In your notes this morning are some suggested things for you to think about as you reflect on how you met Christ. When did you hear the gospel? How were you exposed to it? When did you first seriously consider following Jesus Christ? What was the turning point in your life? When, where, how did you receive Christ? What were the details of the experience? Was there a Bible verse, as in Gary's testimony? In my testimony, it's John 3, 16. Is there a Bible verse that God used? For some of us, there is. For others, there isn't. But to give you an example, I'm holding here Jimmy Burdett's testimony. Okay? Jamie's in Florida with the team, you know, the mission trip this weekend. This is Jamie's testimony. Jamie grew up in a Christian family at church all the time. And as a child made a decision, but it wasn't real because he said he still had no interest in spiritual things and he, nothing changed in his life and he partied. And, you know, he, he even, I, I'm not going to read all of it too but in his testimony he describes being in church on Sundays and Wednesdays with a Bible in his hand and then on Friday nights and Saturday nights being at parties with a beer in the other hand. As a church member but not as a follower of Christ. And so I'm going to skip down to the part of when he became a Christian, how he met Christ, okay? Just that one paragraph, one part of his story. And he's, he's, he's over at Clemson, and he's still partying. And here, here's the paragraph he writes about how he met Christ. Listen to, listen, to the, listen to the details. Listen to the specificity of this, okay? He said, I went to Clemson University after high school where my partying increased, But it was there that I had an encounter with a guy who was part of a group of Christians meeting on campus. He had come by the room to talk to my roommate. When I came in, he introduced himself and asked the question that changed my life. If you were to stand before God and he were to ask ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Jimmy writes, I gave him my Sunday school answer and sat down to study. But for the first time in my life, I was confronted with the reality That I wasn't sure about heaven, but I was very sure that I was empty inside and tired of chasing after things that didn't fulfill me. That conversation started a months-long journey to seek truth and fulfillment. That journey ended when I came across a verse in 2 Corinthians that says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. After that verse, I committed my life to following Jesus. Now, I want you to notice in those brief words, you know when and how Jamie became a Christian. A student at Clemson. A Christian, part of a Christian group on campus, was in his room talking to his roommate. Did you notice he didn't tell you which Christian group, organization? I don't know. It was FCA. What, it doesn't matter because when you start talking about well, it was FCA, it was this group, it was that group, then you have to explain to unchurched people what that is because they don't know what those things are. And it doesn't add anything to the story. And so knowing how to be specific but not with details that just are not central to it. He didn't tell about the whole conversation. He didn't say what the, what, what the guy said the first time he walked in the room. He just said, he asked me that question. And he paints the picture and he tells the story and it's clear and it's effective and it's succinct. And that's what I want all of us be able to be able to do with our story with our experience to Christ now in the few minutes i have left i want to talk about some common habits that we need to break when it comes to writing and telling our story so that we can be more effective in telling our story here's the first habit we need to break we're too long most of the time when we tell our story We need to tell it in three minutes or less, as I said, 300 words. We're too long. Because if you keep talking for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it's not a conversation, I don't care who people are, they get bored. And it's a monologue. Learn learn to tell your story succinctly. what What are you going to do if you're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store and somebody says something and suddenly you've got an opportunity to present a Christian witness? Can you do that in two minutes? Can you do that in three minutes? If you'll work with us in this process, you can answer that question yes. Here's the second habit we need to break, unnecessary details. Focus on what is central to the story. Don't overload the listener with details. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble right now, okay? You know this men women communication thing? I'm, I'm, I'm just acknowledging up front I'm going to get in trouble. Because some of you guys and gals who love each other dearly have had conversations, sweetie, and this is what the men would say, sweetie, you're telling me a lot more than I want to know right now. Any of you guys ever said anything like that to your wife? Maybe, well, maybe after she smacked you, you quit, but. See, when we're sharing our testimony, if we're not careful, we we can overload it with so many details that don't really add to the message. It's not important in Jamie's story that I know what Christian organization that guy was from. If I'm lost and listening to his story, I wouldn't even know what he was talking about if he told me what group it was. It's not important I know the person's name. He didn't mention the name, did he? He didn't mention his roommate's name. He didn't, he didn't mention which dorm they were in. Because none of that matters. And, and the more details you put in like that, the more we distract people from what we're really getting, trying to get them to focus on and to hear. It's because it becomes too much information for them to, to keep in their mind. And, 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 and they'll start thinking about some of those details. Instead of listening to the message, which is focused on the transforming power of Christ when we encounter Him, another common mistake, common habit we need to break is repetition, where we say the same thing three or four ways rather than saying it once clearly and succinctly. The fourth habit we need to break is what I call church speak. Church speak. Good words. Biblical words sometimes. Religious words. But words that don't mean anything to people who've never gone to church in their life because they've never they don't understand those words. I went forward after the sermon. Alright, now as a as a guy who grew up pagan. Had never been in church until I was a sophomore in high school. If someone had said to me before I became a follower of Christ, I went forward in church I would think, what are you talking about? We all know what that means, right? Lost people don't. I gave my heart to Jesus. I reached in, grabbed it, pulled it out. What, what do you mean? We know. It's, it, it means something to us. And so one of the things we have to do is to think hard about our language because I didn't grow up in church, but I've been in church now just over 40 years. So I is one of you, and I got that language down, and it becomes second nature to us, right? Church language, church speak. Missionaries, when they go to a foreign country, learn the language of those people. When we're going to share the gospel, we need to be able to communicate in the language that the people we're talking to understands. And that means we need to work really hard at minimizing the church speak, And so you've been hearing me say a lot about I became a follower of Jesus, committed my life to Jesus. I love the word saved. I've been redeemed, born again, justified, great words. And we need to teach all those truths to people as followers of Christ. But when you're talking to somebody who's never been to church, they don't know what those means. And then sometimes they may have some stereotypes associated with those words that are barriers you have to overcome if you speak in that kind of language. Then here's the, the final habit we need to overcome, and it's, it's, it's what I call speaking in very broad or vague terms. We need to be specific. Jamie was very specific in, in his testimony. Give people a concrete example Focus on one specific example. We talk about, I've got peace. Well, how do you have peace? Don't use a, a, a general term that says, well, I have joy. How? How, how? how does it make a difference in your family? How does it make a difference in, in, in the way you approach your career? What, how does it connect with what you start your story with? Be specific. Don't don't speak in these broad generalities. Be specific. All right. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to write your story, and I want you to allow us to help you. And so, if you go to our church website, on the home page, in the rotator one of those rotators one of those slides is this is my story to tell if you'll click that on when you go to our website it'll take you to another page go to the next slide and that has all the instructions I've been putting in in, in your inserts for writing your testimony on that page and if you'll just scroll down to the bottom of that page there's a place for you to submit your story you can copy and paste it into that space or you can actually sit there and type it into that space however you want to do it and The pastors and I have been working for the last few weeks to get ready for this. And so one of us will read your story and then reply to you with some suggestions. I've been doing that with deacons and others the last few weeks. I read through about eight different testimonies, eight different stories this past week and sent back some comments and suggestions for people to to, to help them think about how to how to how to maybe say it a different way or how to I, you know you've really already said this you don't need to repeat it think of how you want to say it one time to try to get it within that 300 words and be as succinct and clear and effective as we can not to your story is your story you have got to put it in your words but we can help you we can help you learn how to say it and I hope no one's offended by that, but it's an offer to assist, offer to help. And one of the things I'm hoping is that by the time we get into October, these boards are full. We're actually going to build a wall out here later in the, in the lobby. Um, and, and it's my prayer that, that we have no less than 200, but my prayer really that we end up with 300 stories on those walls. Because we all, as followers of Christ, have a story. And all of us should want to tell it and be able to tell it and tell it effectively. And that's what this is all about, is to help us do that. And so I want to encourage you to do a draft of your your testimony and submit it. And then when we send you back some thoughts, do it again. And go through that process multiple times until it gets to where you really want it to be. Now, just real quickly, coming up, we're going to be doing some things that will encourage you in help you give you opportunities to share your story there's going to be a special service in october that you'll be encouraged to invite people to and that very service will create an opportunity for you over lunch the following week to share your story with those people we've got t-shirts coming that have a certain graphic on them that if you wear that i guarantee you somebody's going to ask you and you will have the opportunity to share your story something else we're going to do is there's a new website just for stories, just for evangelism that we've created. And um, those of you who work on your testimony and and, and want to, will be able to video record your testimony with us. It will go on that website. You'll have business cards. You can give that business card to anybody, anywhere. They can go to that website, listen to your story. You will be notified when they listen to your story, and they can listen to every other story that will be on that website as an evangelistic tool. And maybe you're too bashful, you think, to ever talk to somebody. But you can have a basic conversation and say, you know, if you go to this website, you can hear about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And give them a card as a way of witnessing. Now, I want to wrap this up by going back to the story I started with. You know the mailman up in Brooklyn? Hoarded all that mail, 40,000 pieces of mail. Over a ton of mail. He and his wife had rented the same apartment in Brooklyn for 30 years. They lived in the same place for 30 years. Do you know what his neighbors and landlord said about him when he was arrested? They said he and his wife, very nice people. Never caused any trouble. Quiet and respectful Shocked that it had happened because they had never seen anything. Brothers and sisters, being nice is not witnessing. Being a good person is not witnessing. Living a good life and doing good deeds is not witnessing. Now, are they necessary if you're going to be an effective witness? Absolutely. Let the redeemed of the Lord what? Say so. That's witnessing. You have a story to tell. Will you tell it? And will you train yourself to be even better than you are right now? Let's stand. As we sing this hymn of invitation, I invite you to this altar to pray. And, and I want to I encourage you, if, if there's some resistance in you to this whole thing, to ask yourself why. If you're feeling resistance, why? Where's that really coming from? What's God trying to say to you? If you think your story's not a good story, you're wrong. God can use your story. God can use your story. I hope this week we're inundated with emails. (laughs) So much that we don't have time to do much anything else but read testimonies. That would be a great thing. We want to help you. Okay, we want to help you. So let's sing together. You come and make your decisions for Christ right now.